have reached our cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, heartland news and views from the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains and the stories impacting folks in the heartland. My name is Sean Diller and I'm here subbing for our regular host, Kevin Smith. With me is Adam Summer. What do you say? Ready to start the show? Is Ron DeSantis wishing he'd never picked a fight with a mouse? <laughs> <laughs> I would guess yes. So. Josh Hawley is a man, bro. In his new book, Josh Hawley, the senior senator for Missouri, not from Missouri, is ready to transform America by calling on men and boys to lead. How? Great question. It seems mostly that Hawley is fixated on sex. Men should stop masturbating and porn should basically be illegal. Oh, he must be super concerned for the women being exploited then. No, no. Just with men. <laughs> He's boy crazy. Uh, just with men being weakened by lust. Holly's up for re-election in 2024 against Lucas Kuntz. You may recall Kuntz from his 2022 campaign for the Democratic nomination and a particular video in which Kuntz climbs a very tall pole in his shoes and using his hands. Based on Holly's book and his assertion of being the arbiter of manliness, we have to assume the 2024 Missouri Senate race will be a series of feats of strength culminating Ooh. in a caber toss right out of the Scottish Highland Games in which the candidate who throws a tree the farthest will win the seat. We can only hope. <laughs> no word yet from the Holly campaign on if Josh's incredibly soft hands can handle the splinters. Yeah. We'll be monitoring this one closely. And you got to watch for splinters in the caber toss. <laughs> In more useful news, the Federal Rural Health Clinic Program, started as a way to provide safety net care to underserved populations, has kicked off and has some great results. Wayland Williams, great name, was born in eastern Kentucky, and at just five weeks old, Sean is already do, uh, doing his name proud. Wayland is the first child born at a new facility in rural eastern Kentucky called Beacons of Hope, which is a temporary housing facility for women who face substance abuse problems, and it's part of a primary care centers of Eastern Kentucky, kind of a contingent thing. Uh, Beacons of Hope is an extension of PCCEK's Pregnancy and Beyond. It's an addiction treatment program offering obstetrical services, medication for substance use disorders, prenatal education, pediatrics, counseling, services that aren't in a lot of places. A lot of rural communities are in need. Uh, the, you know, the article talks about an critically short supply. Uh, this is from Daily Yonder. Uh, the, in the town of Hazard in Kentucky, uh, which is uh, the largest of PCCEK's four clinics, uh, it's in Perry County, Kentucky. Perry County, this is in this Daily Yonder article, it ranks 117th among Kentucky's 120 counties in health outcomes with a life expectancy of 67 as compared to 78.5 for the rest of the country. So uh, I got to say, Sean, it's great to see some blue solutions helping out in the bluegrass state. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I have got to think that Kentucky having a Democratic governor, Andy Bashir, you know, is a big part of yeah. real healthcare solutions getting implemented instead of just the insane bullshit bills that people like Ron DeSantis and Mike Parsons seem to be signing. Yeah, big, big, big credit to the Biden administration for the funding here. I mean, it's just bottom line. That's a delivery on big promises. Money and power, as usual, go hand in hand. The United States Department of Agriculture will begin to administer two loan and grant programs worth nearly $11 billion to boost clean energy systems in rural areas. 
Rural areas can have more difficulty than more urban ones in attracting private sector investment. White House National Climate Advisor Ali Zadi said the programs are intended to allow rural areas to take advantage of an industry-wide trend to invest in clean energy production. This is right out of the Missouri Independent article quoting that climate advisor. Yeah, he's talking about the investment climate and saying there's a favorable wind blowing here, and this will allow rural communities to put up a sale. The programs are meant to put rural electric cooperatives on equal footing with larger privately owned companies that have already put major funding into clean energy deployment. The, uh, the programs are part of the largest single funding uh, effort for rural electrification since FDR. Okay, so we're talking about late, uh, you know, people think of FDR, they think World War II. No, we're talking about before he was cool, before you know who he was. We're talking late depression, late 30s FDR, electrifying up the whole darn state uh, and turning it into a, a pretty pretty darn big lake, an 80-hectare lake. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, that's when my grandparents, who were tenant farmers in Missouri, kind of near the Oklahoma border, that's when they became Democrats. Right. And, uh, right. you know, programs like this are so important because we hear about the huge investment being made by huge companies on clean energy, but then you drive around you know, in rural counties and you're not seeing huge construction projects. Right. So, and another thing, we know that folks out there are really vulnerable to wild spikes in their utility bills. Right. So in addition to the the big projects making a difference in terms of jobs and the economy, you know, people need reliable, reasonable electricity, like the horror yeah. stories from Texas and so many places, Kansas, Missouri, like these wild swings of temperature, um, you know, people living out in the sticks can't handle a $480 electric bill. Right. Well, it circles back to the point that we were just talking about in Kentucky with the with the rural health clinics and things like that. You know, it, it, more reliable power sources, inexpensive power sources, that means better, uh, not just better sources of electricity, but it means better air conditioning quality in houses because now there's going to be a more consistent flow of more affordable electricity. So when you look at those, right, those uh, those health statistics of life expectancies of 68 years, you have to wonder what would happen if those people had access to just better clean air, basically. 100%, right. Yeah. And there are big chunks of Missouri and all over the country that still burn coal. And, yeah, you know, it has a bad impact on the air quality and people pay that price with their health, 100%. So uh, get ready, folks, because the leftist liberal woke power is going to be indoctrinating your power meter before you know it. <laughs> I mean, Josh Hawley is uh, peddling some stupid uh, version of <laughs> the current um, where I think clean energy is to make us slaves to the Chinese. I think that's what he says. Sure. That makes that makes sense. He's got a wild sense. imagination, this, this young man. <laughs> Jesus. He thinks so. <laughs> Conservatives are concerned about right-wing extremists' impact on schools, uh, you think? And a story that comes as no surprise to people who live in reality, a school board in Woodland Park, Colorado, is now home to a cadre of hardcore right-wing extremists, and folks are not pleased. Chief among those concerned? Conservatives! What? That's right. It seems actual conservative folks have finally figured out that the MAGA members of their party might not be the best people to be put in charge of government institutions. Yeah, I think that is, <laughs> that is the I, case. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> no, I mean, you're right, though. The 
you know, the headline of conservatives in Colorado worry that their extremist <laughs> base is going to make it so they can never win another election. It's like the that. funniest headline I've read all year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you guys just now figured this out. Right. It's so insane. Right. No. And it's like Colorado Springs is a great example. That's kind of like the epicenter of the schism in the Republican Party here in Colorado. Yeah. Um, El Paso County has traditionally been very conservative and uh, they had like basically kind of a shadow Republican Party that, you know, was out hunting rhinos and, you know, trying to purify the, um, <laughs> the ranks. And, um, you know, what happened? Oh, no. Colorado Springs ended up electing their first Democratic mayor in like 40 years this sure. week. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's happening. Um, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, it's uh, it, you remember the wedding singer uh, when uh, Adam Sandler has that breakdown on stage and he just starts crying. And then at the end of the scene, it's just John Lovitz. And he's, get, right. he's standing behind the curtain and he goes, he's losing his mind and I'm reaping all the benefits. And he just slides the curtain in front of his face. That's it's like that's when I read this headline, I just was like, I, I had that in my head. It was just that John. Lovett. Right. No, anyway. it's insane. It's yeah. And it's actually the Republican who lost in Colorado Springs was the former state secretary of state, a Republican, Wayne Williams, who had won statewide office in Colorado and then lost a mayoral race. Right. Right. Because what? the Republicans are such a shit show here. Um, Can you imagine the winning statewide and then losing a mayoral race? No. That's crazy. No. Yes. <laughs> right. So, no, they're wacky. And, you know, the same thing. And I don't know where Ron DeSantis is getting his polling information because this shit is nuts that they're <laughs> doing <laughs> in Florida. Like, he can't win a national election. Um, no, he can't win a primary. Lose your school. You lose your town. Contrary to lobbyist social media postings, rural schools are at major risk and educators in rural states are not sitting this out. Rural schools are also hubs for community engagement through concerts, theatrical productions, and sports. Often they are town's largest employer. Steve Peterson, who's a teacher in Decorah, a town in northeastern Iowa, said, at our school, we offer a lot because our community expects a lot. They want good programs, academic, but also extracurricular opportunities. Yeah, Sean, I saw this uh, in our Slack. It's a, it's in, it's from the NEA. So this is to be clear, this is not a uh, unbiased news source. This is the NEA. They're pro, obviously pro teacher. Um, but it just struck me because this guy, this Steve Peterson's quote about at our school, we offer a lot because our community expects a lot. They want good programs, academic, but also extracurricular. You know, you and I grew up in a rural community. I mean, half the people that work on these shows, actually, almost all of the people who work on these shows grew up in rural settings uh it's you know small central schools that were vitally important to the entirety of the town 100 percent. yeah i mean you think back to warrington like our town and you know except for like the local architect a couple local lawyers mm -hmm. local judge you know literally the, the insurance guy yeah a handful of people you know work with college degrees in that town Unless you work at the school, at the which school, is right. which like is the center of the universe. Yeah. For anyone wanting to learn. Right. Um, and in a place where there's not like safe stuff to do, 
right not at school (laughs) there was no safe stuff to do we could uh, that's a whole other podcast yeah no and it's true you know it's like i can't believe that these teachers are coming under attack in these schools because all they do is show up every day trying to create a safe environment for kids you know whose parents drive an hour you know away from town to go to work yeah Um, yeah. Well, that's uh, every time I hear somebody tell me about how moving this funding around is going to create a choice for kids with schools. I always think about our hometown where there were two schools in the county, in the county. And the school that we went to had people who drove there from, we were talking about, you know, dirt roads, not just gravel roads, like way out there, 15 miles that they live from school. And between them and the public school in the center of town, there wasn't another school they could go to. There wasn't a, like some private school closer to them. There was just that school. And there was, you know, one K through eight private school. And that was it. So for school choice purposes, it didn't exist. It was fake. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the the idea of these school choice buffoons is that somehow this is putting the students first. Right. And, you know, the idea of moving funding away from a public school just because that kid decides to go to private school mm-hmm. you know the impact on the other kids still at the public school is just wild to think about it and it doesn't take long before the school just has to close and then those right. decisions are made at the district level so like the right. states are passing these laws that are going to destroy funding for public schools and then it's right. going to happen one by one these districts are just going to be faced with the reality like well well, we've got to close. You add on top of that, it's not just that they're going to, it's not like they're going to operate at the same level and then close. It's going to start with the slow trickle of, you know, you and I met in eighth grade in band. Okay. Middle right. school band gone. Right. Right. You, you think about those kind of central elements to who you are, your identity, whatever it is. Uh, they 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 cut middle school band, then they cut this program, then it's this sport. drama, all the nerdy drama. stuff we did, right. yeah, right. all the nerdy <laughs> stuff first, and then the sports go. You know, football is always the last, but that, right, you know, they would cut the nerdy sports that we did too, soccer and golf, right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we got varsity letters, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, that stuff gets cut and it just goes, you know, right by the wayside, and nobody thinks twice about it until they wake up one day. And the families move away, right? Because if you can, if you have the means to not put your kid in a school that doesn't have an opportunity for your kid, you're going to take that opportunity. And it's just a matter of time before those schools absolutely crumble. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And it's completely disingenuous. You know, it's not about actually creating better educational outcomes because the kids who are likely to benefit most from these misguided policies were probably going to be fine anyway. Right. And yeah, this is, you know, it's not even an attempt to fix anything. And I think they're getting more and more comfortable with that just being out in the open. It's pretty gross. I agree. Well, that's all the time we have on today's show for Fly Review. Sean, thanks for hanging out with me and uh, doing the show with me this week. We miss you, Kevin. Yeah, this is me, Ann. Thanks for helping me out, Adam. And see everybody next time. The Fly Review is a production of MidMap Media, LLC. Learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See you all next week.